Welcome to Safety Bites, a weekly podcast on all things related to workplace safety, hosted by me, Jason Schaffenbuhl. The thoughts expressed in this podcast are based upon my opinion and general best practices, which may not apply to all listeners. Always consult with a qualified professional before making any changes in your organization. Recently, a policyholder experienced a fatality in their organization. It's an unfortunate and tragic experience that will forever change the lives of the family of the deceased, friends, co-workers, and our policyholder. As I learned the details of the incident, I was personally struck by how unsurprised I was that a fatality could occur in the manner it did. Then it dawned on me. Every safety rule we have was created because someone lost his life or had a serious injury. Let me repeat that in another way. We are so bad at protecting employees, we have to kill or injure them before we create laws, rules, or procedures to keep them safe. I'm not here to judge if this is right or wrong. I'm simply recognizing that this is the case. More importantly, though, What can we do to more quickly learn from these losses so we do not have to repeat them? So, what should we do? Identify the most high-risk tasks that your staff perform in your organization. These are tasks that are likely to cause serious injury or death. For some organizations, it may be driving. This is generally the riskiest task most people perform on a daily basis. For other organizations, it may be machine guarding as employees work around machines. It may be lockout-tagout if your employees are working on or maintaining machines that are supposed to be de-energized before work commences. Confined space entry is a serious hazard in other industries. If your industry is more people-related, such as healthcare, education, or social service, it is the behavior of others, such as violent outbursts, that may pose the biggest threat. No matter what industry you're in, there is a potential for serious injury or death. If you don't know how to determine what the high-risk tasks are, talk to a safety professional, your insurance loss control representative, or even ask your employees. I bet they know. After you've identified what the high-risk tasks are, then you need to evaluate what controls you have in place. Are the controls adequate? The first test of adequacy is to see if what you are doing meets the minimum threshold established by OSHA or consensus standards. If you're wondering what consensus standards are, check out Podcast 29. Keep in mind these are minimum expectations and generally set the bar for compliance and liability. However, you can always be more protective. For example, when you buy an automobile, Do you get the cheapest model you can afford for your needs, or do you get features that make driving safer for you, your passengers, and society? I recently bought a new vehicle, and I wanted certain safety features that were difficult to find, and due to COVID, I could not order the vehicle I wanted. Specifically, I wanted a base model vehicle with certain safety features. I didn't need dual climate control, leather seats, seat heaters, navigation, power adjustable everything, etc. What was interesting to me is that when I found the vehicle that had adaptive cruise control, and lane departure with lane keep assist, the dealer was more than happy to sell it to me at a significant discount. I asked why, and the response was that people weren't looking for those features, and he had difficulty selling vehicles with those options. To me, these options were worth the additional cost, which was still less than what most people were paying for similar vehicles with all the cushy options. The second way to address serious injury is to involve the people who are exposed to the hazard. Talk to your employees. Ask them if they feel that the controls that are in place are adequate. What ideas do they have to make these high-hazard tasks safer, safer for them? Now, you will have some employees who simply don't like change and think that making something safer is crazy talk. I see that every day. I don't ignore them, but engage them to understand why they feel that way. Some of these discussions have led me to see the error of my ways and come up with even better safety solutions. I remember one manufacturing process that I was trying to make safer, and an employee told me that would just slow down production. I had a feeling that my idea would slow down production, but I didn't think the loss of production would be that great. But instead of forcing my idea, 
I asked the employee what could be done to make the task safer. He smiled and said, I'll tell you what I've been telling them for years. If you modify how the previous production step is completed, you can eliminate this step completely. I was intrigued, so I asked for more information. At the end of our discussion, I was a champion of his idea and suggested the change be implemented to improve safety and productivity. Sadly, because I was in management, they listened to me and implemented the change. It saved both time and labor cost, so production was increased and overall costs came down. I made sure to point out it wasn't my idea and that we really needed to listen to employees. Employees will often come up with solutions that not only protect themselves, but make their jobs easier, more rewarding, and produce higher quality or increase the output of goods and services. It's amazing what can happen when you involve others. Lastly, how do we more quickly learn from tragic experiences of others? Listen and act. When a safety professional like me brings up a safety issue that is in your organization, or when OSHA or a trade industry association you belong to develops requirements or suggestions to a hazard your organization has, listen and act. Don't simply brush off the issue saying it has never happened here or assume you're so different that it won't happen. You should assume it will. Then, act on how to prevent it. Here's another tragic example to illustrate my point. I was once at a facility looking at a new piece of equipment. I explained how the guarding should be improved because an employee was going to stick their hand in the machine and get a radial fracture of the arm. How did I know? I had seen it happen before, and it had happened at other facilities that had the same process. When I went back six months later, the machine was guarded. I told them I was impressed. They sheepishly explained that they had ignored my warning and that an employee had been injured almost exactly the way I said he would be. Instead of breaking an arm, the employee had a radial fracture of the leg. I still don't understand why the employee put their leg in the machine, but improved guarding would have prevented that as well. Here is the big problem. The rate of fatalities in the U.S. workplace has not materially decreased in the last 20 years. In fact, it has gone up in some years. While injury rates are going down, fatality rates haven't really changed. So I ask you, please think about those activities that occur in your workplace that can lead to death or serious injury. Are you doing enough to eliminate the needless and senseless loss of life that can occur? If you're not sure, talk to your employees, find a safety professional, or talk to your loss control representative. As a safety professional, I can tell you we all want to help improve workplace safety. We do not want to hear of another person losing his or her life because an organization didn't act. Remember, what you do for safety today may prevent a death tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and will join me next week. Until then, please make time each day to create a safer workplace.